0: Hello there. I'm Duncan Autry, and this is the Omni Win Project podcast, where I am sharing the people, tools, and ideas that already exist that can help us solve the crisis of our democracy so that you can learn with me and others on how we can heal our political divisions and co create a future where everyone wins. Well, it's Thanksgiving week again, and it's time for us to confront the traditions, the history, the mythology of this holiday, along with our friends and family. Now, I'm going to skip over giving you the obvious pointers on how you can practice communication skills at the dinner table. Instead, I'm going to jump straight into the heart of the matter here. I want to talk about how and why learning how to celebrate this holiday might hold the secret to healing our political divisions. So right now, we're kind of stuck in how to understand the history of the United States. And one place that we're struggling a lot is the story of Thanksgiving. And as far as I can tell, we're under the illusion that there can only be one of two stories. On one hand, Thanksgiving is a celebration of brotherly love and unity. It's remembering a time of mutual support between English pilgrims and Native Americans. The other story is that Thanksgiving is a reminder of colonial oppression, and it's covering up the horrendous genocide of Native people by European immigrants. And also everything that we remember on that holiday is probably inaccurate. So... The conflict between these two stories, I think, is a bit of a microcosm of a much greater tendency towards polarization in the United States, and the efforts to sort ourselves out into us and them, good guys and bad guys, is actually destroying our country and it's threatening our future. The world is complex. Thanksgiving is complex. Our history is complex, and the desire to make any of it to some clear binary distinction is not just unproductive and and inaccurate. This kind of thinking is corroding our hearts and it's preventing the healing and the unity that we all want and need. So in preparation for the quadricentennial Thanksgiving last year, I spent a lot of time researching Thanksgiving and its history and the greater context it sits in. I prepared a lot of drafts of what I was hoping would be the ultimate Thanksgiving story. so And it ended up being so detailed and complex that I ended up missing Thanksgiving Day. So this year, I'm ready to cut straight to the heart of it. And I believe that there's a way for us to understand Thanksgiving that can help us heal our nation and also orient ourselves to a future that inspires us. And I think we can do this without anyone really needing to give up on their favorite recipe, or there's a sense of tradition and family that this holiday means so much to people. So in this episode, I'm gonna do this by sharing three ways to celebrate Thanksgiving that are traditional, culturally respectful, and that can generate true healing and reconciliation for our country. So the shortened version of what's going on with Thanksgiving is this. And a time and geography. They was surrounded by destruction and domination, two traumatized communities made an improbable choice. In the fall of 1621, they reached out across language and culture and they overcame the potential for distrust and they decided to cultivate connections despite their differences and they had a celebration together. So there's actually very little record of this gathering. There's just two primary sources. There's a letter from a man named Edro Winslow, which I actually highly recommend to checking out. And there's also a journal entry, which actually doesn't say that much, except for that they had a good harvest. <laughs> but we know that this event happened. And here's what we do know about it. After a successful harvest of Indian corn and barley, the peas didn't really take... In the first year on land, the pilgrims of the Plymouth Foundation um, and their governor declared a special celebration, and they sent out four men to go hunt fowl, and it was quite successful, and at least 50 Englishmen were then joined by 90 Native men, and we actually don't really know much about the women that were involved. And they hung out for three days. They feasted, they shot guns, and they played games. And during the event, the Wampanoag folk, the native people of the area, also went and hunted down five deer to add to the feast. We also think that they probably drank ale that came from the English barley, and which was the only successful European crop that year. This group of people didn't think about what they were doing as a Thanksgiving. That was a, actually a different kind of event that I'll talk about later. But it was definitely a celebration of the harvest. This gathering happened in the context of having a peace treaty and a pact for mutual support that was between the the Plymouth Pilgrims and the Wampanoag. And they actually held on to the treaties for the rest of their lives until the death of Osama King, the leader of the Wampanoag people, in 1661 that makes this the only treaty between English and Native folks that was kept throughout the lives of the people who signed it. And this gathering amidst that treaty was, it seems to be like it was a genuine cross-cultural peaceful interaction. And it is important because it stands out of a point of light and inspiration in the arc of an otherwise dark and complex time in history. And so... The reason why we remember this 400 years later is because it was a rare moment. It took profound courage, and it serves potentially as a beacon of hope that we can connect across our differences, even when those around us are at war with each other. And it's especially remarkable because of what preceded it and what was to follow afterwards. So the pilgrims, as we call them now, of Plymouth, were separatists. They're separatists from the newly formed Church of England, and they left England fleeing religious persecution. And they initially fled to the Netherlands, where they were able to live with religious freedom, but they were in serious poverty. And what's more, the Thirty Years' War was just beginning in Europe. And so... They fled to the Americas mainly as economic and war refugees. Their trip on the Mayflower was financed by a group of 70 London businessmen called the Merchant Adventurers. And that means that the pilgrims arrived. They were indebted servants. And it was supposed to be only for seven years, but it ended up lasting for 27 years. And we also know that the journey across the Atlantic and the Mayflower was Longer than it should have been it was really a har- harrowing and terrible experience. The Wampanoag people, on the other hand, are they are people called the people of the dawn. The Wampanoag trace their history on what they called Turtle Island, now known as North America, back over 10,000 years. And for the couple years before this gathering and before the religious and economic refugees arrived, the Indians of this part of southern New England had been destroyed by disease that was introduced by Europeans who had come earlier. And the historians estimate that as many as three quarters of the Wampanoag people had died before the pilgrims arrived. These separatist pilgrims settled on an abandoned Native American village called Patuxic. And this is a quote that I found. When the Europeans founded Plymouth Plantation amid the ruins of Patuxic, a Wampanoag village, they found human bones littering the ground because no one was left alive to bury the dead. So this is the context in which everyone arrived people suffering on a boat ride, people suffering from losing their entire community. And this group of English separatists are building a village on the bones of the dead. So this moment of unity is something that came amidst great suffering. And it's worth remembering because it could easily have been lost in this world of a much larger, tragic, hopeful, inspiring, complex story that was happening really then, but is actually still unfolding today. The thing is, we are trapped in this cycle of intergenerational aggression and trauma, and breaking out of that cycle is actually the burden and responsibility for anyone who wants to never pass this forward to our next generations. As far as I can tell, this Thanksgiving holiday actually contains within it the traditions and seeds for figuring out how we might be able to resolve and heal some of the greatest wounds. Not only those faced by those in the U.S., but wounds that are actually affecting all of humanity. So that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the three ways to celebrate Thanksgiving now into the future. But first, I have to cover a note about Mary had a little lamb and genocide. Thanksgiving was created in 1863 as an official U.S. holiday. That was right in the middle of the Civil War, and it was done through a declaration by Abraham Lincoln. This holiday came to be because of the lifelong advocacy of a woman named Sarah Hale. Hale was an American writer, an activist, and a women historian, and she was the editor of the Godoy's Laid- Ladies' Book. She's also the author of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Her insistence was that it was important for us to create a day of unification and peace that all Americans could celebrate. And so in 1863, however, there were barely any Native Americans around to join in this celebration. The destruction of the indigenous population of the continent was almost complete at this time. Before the arrival of the Europeans, it's estimated that that between 5 and 15 million people were living in North America, or Turtle Island. By the time the Thanksgiving Proclamation was made in 1863, the Native American population was 238,000. That means that there was a loss of 95 to 98% of these peoples. And this can really only be called genocide. Genocide is defined as acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a nation, national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. And this destruction of these people is the result not only of the disease that took out two thir- or three quarters of them from the get-go, but there was also 1,500 wars, attacks, and raids on Indians that were authorized by the U.S. government. The genocide also includes boarding schools for native american children that was designed to civilize and assimilate these children by forcing them to give up their languages and religion and the genocide was also exacerbated by the eventual forced relocation and then the ongoing displacement of almost all native peoples on the east coast so this process of obliterating people that were perceived as savage and barbarian It didn't come from nowhere and this is where the story i think starts to get interesting this is the same approach that was taken by the romans when they conquered the indigenous people all across europe and in what is now known as england the roman conquest killed and enslaved untold millions of tribes and cultures that were that we now call the celts and the gauls and they did this on the british islands with the britons who are my ancestors and the ancestors of these pilgrims. All of them had their culture destroyed 1600 years before this. And that's happened in Britain at least beginning in the year 43. The term that's given to the Romans approach to this kind of war is called Bellum Romanum. And the term translated as Roman war devise is comes from this approach adopted by the Roman legions when they were fighting against those that they considered to be barbarians. These are people that they did not consider to deserve civilized consideration. Bellum Romanum is a war without rules or restraint. And this Bellum Romanum continued. The Anglo-Saxons who were victims of the same Roman genocide um, centuries earlier used this approach when they took an all-out war and they conquered modern-day England and established the language of English. Bellum Romanum is the way that many fought during the Thirty Years' War, which was between Protestants and Catholics. And that's the same war, again, that was unfolded in Europe when this Thanksgiving encounter happened. And it is still actually one of the most brutal wars in human history. And this was the context of tens of thousands of Puritans who arrived a decade after the now-famous harvest celebration at Plymouth and Patuxic? Now, the Puritans, note here, they are loyal to the Church of England. They are not the same as the pilgrims who were separatists. That confusion was something that was brought by Sarah Hale, who was really on board with the Puritan thinking. And just a way of understanding this, the Puritans are the ones that wore the black, serious outfits. The pilgrims that we're thinking about from this actual story were wearing rainbowy match mismatches of clothes because they were really poor. So these Puritans, though, they explicitly rejected the idea of religious freedom, and they were never down with the idea of adopting the pilgrims cooperation with the American Indian people. The Puritans of the Massachusetts colony were 20,000, while the Plymouth folk were only about 2,000 of them. And it's the Puritans who brought Bellum Romanum to the Wampanoag people. And 1637, just tracking that, the Thanksgiving of 1621 and 1637, the Puritans, and the people in the Massachusetts colony were seeking revenge for the death of a man named Paco. Then the settlers attacked a Wampanoag village where they assaulted them in the early morning and they told them to come outside of the homes and then they were shot and clubbed to death while each other watched. The rest of them were burned alive and enslaved. They killed 500 to 700 men, women and children and the Poco War was one of the most bloody Indian wars that was ever fought. The next day, John Winthrop, the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, declared a day of Thanksgiving. And this, actually, was the first time that Thanksgiving was officially named and declared in the United States, and it was actually based on the massacre of Native Americans. The people in the Massachusetts colony, excited by their victory, the colonists and their Indian allies then went on to attack village after village. Women and children over 14 years old were sold into slavery, and the rest were murdered. They say that boats loaded with as many as 500 slaves regularly were be taken out of the port of New England. So why am I sharing all of this? I'm. I want to clarify. I'm not trying to share this to assign blame. Shame is not helpful here. I'm also not trying to share all this as a way of diminishing the horrors of the European conquest by showing that they also were victims. I am trying to share the idea that this is part of a much deeper history. And I'm doing that because I think it's going to put things in context. I really believe that there's a greater human story that's unfolding here. And... I'm also still setting things up to share with you three ways to celebrate this holiday, because I believe that hidden in the Thanksgiving story is an opportunity for profound healing. So here's the upshot. Many people want to make sure that our Thanksgiving feasts are not covering up the genocide of the Native Americans. And many other people rather avoid facing the reality of that horrible past, and would like to cling to the food traditions and the sweet experiences they've had. The reason for both of these different approaches, I think, is the same. It's that we all know that this cycle of violence, that this oscillation between oppression and trauma needs to stop. We need to somehow find a way of breaking free of this pattern because it goes far beyond the English settlers and the Native American peoples. This dynamic is even alive and well today in our modern culture. It's infused into our politics, and it seems to be the reason why a recent poll showed that over 40% of US Americans think that it's at least somewhat likely that we're gonna have another civil war within the next 10 years. So to explain the cycles of violence, I wanna share with you a model that comes from STAR, which stands for strategies, for Trauma Awareness and Resilience. It's a program from the Great Center for Justice and Peacebuilding at Eastern Mennonite University. And I learned about this model through David Brubaker, who happens to be the last guest in my podcast. So what is this cycle of violence? The cycle of violence has two interdependent sides, causing harm and experiencing harm. So they're on the left side. Some of the lessons in it are that every choice for us to dehumanize another person or a people or a group, every time that someone harms another with righteous justification or tries to pursue their own needs at the expense of others, it is feeding into this cycle. This model shows us that even developing a good versus evil narrative, which might sound familiar, or... Embracing some identity as us, the victims, and them as the oppressors. Those are the kind of things that keep the cycle of violence alive. But it's also true, looking at the other side of this cycle, that the suppression of grief, the feelings of guilt and shame that arrive from being the ones who, from being the ones who survived a traumatic event. Also, like nurturing the fantasies of revenge, Those, two are feeding into the cycle. And this also includes the sense of being helpless and powerless. If we want to break free of the cycle of violence, the first step is about acknowledging the harm that has been done. It's about grieving and mourning and facing our fears and starting to look at the root causes. And this is scary work that can't be done without safety and support. To break free of the cycle of violence, the first step is to begin to acknowledge the harm that has been done, to start to grieve and mourn and to face our fears and to start to look at the root causes. Now, this is scary work, and it's the kind of thing that needs to be done with safety and support. And with that, I'm now finally come to the first of the three ways and reasons to celebrate Thanksgiving. Number one... (laughs) the story of the pilgrims at Plymouth and the Wampanoag people can serve us as a model for the way that we want to be in these times. Coming out of recent experiences of great loss and surrounded by violence on all sides, these two groups of people from vastly different cultures found a way to come together across their differences. And they did this in the spirit of peace and mutual support and even celebration. And I think a reason to celebrate this holiday is because we can lift up this point of light out of the horror that surrounded it. And we can use this as a model for how you want to be, how I want to be, how we want to be. And it can inspire us to take responsibility for breaking the cycle of intergenerational trauma. And so some ways you can celebrate in this way would be to Take the effort to reach out to someone who's different from you. Think of someone where the connection seems impossible or improbable and reach out. Have a meal together. Embrace your common humanity. And remember that both of you have experienced joy and harm. And if this sounds really tricky, like what would you even talk about? Here's a really good conversation prompt. Ask them to tell you a story about their life that's going to help you understand how they came to be the person they are today. This is an important activity because it turns out, with a lot of research and such, that direct human connection is actually the only way for us to heal divisions. Another way that you can celebrate in this way would be to take action to start healing this grand scale historical rupture. The Wampanoag people are actually currently in a struggle for tribal recognition, so you can look them up and offer support. And also, if you're not on the land of your ancestors, which is unlikely, well, which is actually really likely, <laughs> then go ahead and find out what land you're on. Learn about the people who tended to the land that you were standing on right now. Tell this story to other people. Reach out to them and see what kind of help that they could need with anything. And you can begin your research by going to native-land.ca, and the link will be here in the show notes as well. And if somehow bridging this divide directly is not something that's accessible to you right now, then I encourage you to use this holiday as a chance to name and support the healing of our past. Tell others that you were inspired by the courage of the pilgrims and the Wampanoag to come together in the face of great violence and start telling a new narrative. So to get to the next two, I just have to name that the holiday that we're celebrating today, and this is again because of Sarah Hale, is a bit of a mashup of two different celebrations. One, Harvest Festival, and the English called this Harvest Home. And on the other hand, there's a Puritan religious ceremony called Thanksgiving, And so the second traditional and culturally appropriate way to celebrate the Thanksgiving is by celebrating the harvest. You may or may not have noticed, but hidden in this greater story is the fact that one way or another, almost everyone in the United States has had our connection to earth and to our ancestors interrupted, either forcibly or voluntarily. But nonetheless, we all have indigenous roots. We all come from some kind of healing traditions. We are all somewhere, and we all came from somewhere. And celebrating the harvest is a tradition that comes from cultures all over the world. It's definitely a thing that was happening in England, and it's also that we definitely know that there are native harvest celebrations. And there's an Israeli harvest celebration that goes back over 3,000 years. And we know that the harvest celebrations are happening all over the world. And this is why it was able to work as a common language for the pilgrims and the Wampanoag to unite on that fall day in 1621. Harvest festivals are a time for us to remember our relationship with food, with the seasons, with the land we are on and the water that is around us they are an opportunity to celebrate this ultra-rare gift of being alive in an abundant planet. So here are some ways that you can turn your Thanksgiving dinner into a celebration of the harvest. Some easy ones would be to use locally grown food, or make sure you use food that is in season. Go to a farmer's market. If you have something growing in your garden, or maybe just a couple herbs in your herb garden, make sure you include them on your table and in your recipes. Another idea is to learn some Native American recipes or learn recipes of your own ancestors or, even better, do both and serve them together on the same table. Another easy thing you might do is just remember to make a toast to the land, to the farmers, to the sun and the cycles and all the food and all that it took for the food to get to your table. Or Another thing you might do is just quietly just go outside this week, put your hands in the dirt, and just say thank you. Speaking of thank you, I want to tell you about the third responsible way to celebrate Thanksgiving. turns out that the tradition of Thanksgiving, specifically that phrasing, is about a lot more than just saying what we're grateful for. Thanksgiving was a tradition that rose up with the Church of England, and it was brought to the Americas by the Puritans, and Thanksgiving for them began with a day of fasting, and then that was followed by a feast, and it is a religious rite, and it's a time to repent for the harms that we have done, and to thank God for mercy and forgiveness. And so one of the ways we can do this is by practicing forgiveness. I've written a lot about forgiveness in other places, but right now I'm just going to repeat what I think is one of the most important lessons that I learned about it. Forgiveness is not about saying that there was no harm. It's not about diminishing the seriousness of what was done. Forgiveness only has meaning if there was harm. Another thing that's worth noting about forgiveness is it's a personal choice. And it's a choice to relinquish your right to recompense to the other person. And forgiveness is an essential part of releasing yourself and others from the cycle of violence. And that is necessary to open up the possibilities of change and growth. So how can you celebrate this way? This week, I invite you to take a moment to remember ways that you have been hurt by others, or ways that you have hurt other people. And in case that's not super easy to figure out, a good shortcut that I've learned is just reflect on anything that you feel resentful about. Make a list of them. Look at those things. Feel what you feel about them. Allow yourself to grieve, to feel angry, to feel sad, to mourn, to feel whatever it is that you feel. And then see if you can identify what the root causes were. It's helpful to recognize that there are multiple perspectives. And then find someone you can talk to about it, someone you trust. And then check to see if you're ready to forgive or ask for forgiveness. Now, one thing I want to hint here is no one owes you forgiveness. And... It's also really hard to forgive someone for something that you haven't already forgiven yourself for. So one of the best important things here is to practice self-forgiveness. And as you reach out to this other person, one trick about how to apologize is really making sure that you understand or showing them that you want to understand why the harm happened and what the impact was. And then make an offer to make amends and see if that feels satisfying. Now, none of this is easy. And this is actually why people turn to a higher power of some sort to hand this over to. So if you don't feel like you have a direct line to God, then I invite you to feel free to let the earth or the moon or the sun or the stars hold this forgiveness for you, hold this pain for you, hand it over to to them or another easy thing you can do is just write it all down slide it on fire let the smoke take it away one way or another i invite you to find a way to take responsibility for what's yours and let it go this process is not only healing for you but this process is not only healing for you it's also healing for those the rest of them involved but it is a critical step to liberating all of us from the past, and allowing us to grow into the best selves for ourselves, individually, and collectively. The, f- the final step of breaking the cycle of violence is to reconnect with those who you have harmed and those who have harmed us. And doing this work of healing the ruptures in our culture is up to all of us. And this kind of reconciliation, in my opinion, is exactly what we need right now. So there you have it. It's time for us to get out of the binary good versus bad story of Thanksgiving. It's necessary for us to figure out ways to heal our past and to actively work together so we can co-create our future. And fortunately, the solutions for all of this are coded in this holiday. And it holds within it all the things that we might need to make the repair. So this Thanksgiving, I invite you to use it as an opportunity to remember our shared story, the darkness, and the courage that it took to overcome it. I use encourage you to use this as a chance to refresh your relationship with the miracle of the food on your plate and the land that it came from and the land that you were on and the land that you came from. And finally, I invite you to use this day as a chance to be grateful for the opportunity to give and receive forgiveness. If you find yourself moved by this, I encourage you to share it right now with someone who you think is ready to find a new Thanksgiving story. And a trick here is that there is a podcast version, a video version, and an essay version of this episode. So it should be easy to find something that you can share with everyone, and you can find all of those versions, plus all of the citations from this in one place. And that is at omniwin.substack.com. You can find the link for the sub stack in your show notes. And also, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to this, because on Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to be sharing my own updated version of Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation from 1863. And if I do say so myself, I think it's pretty good. And if nothing else, I think it's a really good summary of all of this long story that I've shared with you here today. And now, as you move into whatever's next in your day, I invite you to remember that we all have a role to play in the whole. Thank you for listening, and thank you for playing your part in co-creating the future of our democracy. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the OmniWin Project podcast. I am so grateful to today's guest for being on today's podcast. And if you liked what they had to say and you want to learn more about them or any of the things we discussed in the episode today, check them out in your show notes right there on your podcast app, or come on down to omniwinproject.com where you can get even more information. You can find a video version of this podcast as well as the transcript. and. There are many more episodes that are going to be coming soon. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast right now and share it with a friend while you're at it. As you go into the rest of your day, I invite you to remember that we are all co-creating our future right now. And we all have a role to play in the whole. Thank you for listening to the OmniWin Project podcast. Have a wonderful day.